Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account. Welcome to a Kindling podcast, Your Family, Your Money. I'm Georgina Dent. And I'm Caitlin Fitzsimmons. We're two mums with young families and we want to help all families understand money better. It is so closely linked with with all of the things that we do, whether that is, you know, where we live, how we live, how we look after our children, where they go to school, how we spend our holidays. It's, It's so closely linked with all of those decisions. And I think that empowering people to to be comfortable talking about money is so important. It's true. It's one of those big taboos. People hate talking about it, but especially for couples, it's like you you really have to get on the same page about it. Otherwise, it's not going to work. And I think that the way families manage their money is incredibly important to their to their security and to their their happiness. In this episode, we'll be talking about financial stress. It's something that affects nearly one in three Australians and people from all income levels. Before we jump into it, feel free to drop us a line, podcast at kindling.com.au. Share your stories, suggest topics, or ask us a question about money and your family. So I guess the first thing to ask about financial stress is what exactly it is. Look, I think the thing with financial stress is that there are obviously uh, extremes within it, but it is essentially being stressed or worried about finances. Yeah, it's not, it's not, there's not a magic formula to say, oh, this person's in financial stress or this person isn't. It's, it's self-reported from people who say they are experiencing stress. And you can also see that they're experiencing many of the symptoms that come with any kind of stress. And in their case, it's uh, prompted by money worries. Yeah. And I think the thing is, all of the um, studies and research show that this is incredibly prevalent. And it's not hard to understand why, because, you know, finance and money is such a big part of our lives. And if you are feeling overwhelmed about any aspect of that, whether it is that you are spending more than you earn, or whether it is that you've overcommitted, whether you just can't make ends meet because you're on, um, you know, the cost of living's going up and your salary isn't, um, there's a change in your circumstances, which we know happens if there's an accident, if a marriage breaks down or a relationship breaks down, if someone gets sick. There are all sorts of sort of big and small life changes that can result in financial stress. Yes. Yeah, so what what the uh, studies show very clearly is that it affects people from all socioeconomic groups. It is incredibly common. Uh, one of the recent studies that I saw um, was commissioned by a group called Financial Mindfulness and Core Data did the research. They uh, surveyed a thousand people and they found that 30% of Australians, that's nearly one in three of us, are experiencing financial stress. And that's an awful lot of people, you know. But do you know, I actually, in some ways, am surprised that it is as small as that. And I mean, I think the other thing that's important to to recognise is that the ramifications of financial stress can be catastrophic. I mean, they can really, um, they can impact a person's physical health. They can create anxiety and depression. There are real physical symptoms that can flow from extreme financial stress. Well, that's right. I mean, in this research, it found uh, that seven out of 10 people who are financially stressed are experiencing loss of sleep. Uh, For, you know, everyone else, it's uh, less than one in 10. 
Uh, they mm. found people have lower immunity. They have difficulty concentrating. You know, in some cases, they um, turn to drugs or alcohol or start kind of hurting themselves or people around them. They might cut back on social events because they can't afford to be there. I, I think uh, it was nine out of 10 people who reported financial stress regularly miss social events. Um, and it's you know, it's only one in five uh, for the general population. And, uh, you know, I've also seen uh, research from Relationships Australia saying that financial stress causes one in four relationship breakdowns. Yeah, I mean, it, it comes up in, in a lot of um, studies as being one of the top uh, relationship problems that, that couples report. Um, and I think that the other thing that makes financial stress a bit tricky is that I think there is a level of shame associated with it. I don't think it is something that people openly talk about um, in the way that they might talk about other issues that are causing them them angst. I mean, if you've got a child that's not sleeping or if you've got um, a problem at work, they're the sorts of issues that you're probably going to talk to other people about um, in some capacity. But I think with financial stress, there is an element of keeping it to yourself. Yeah, there's an element of feeling like that you should be able to earn more money or that you should be able to kind of, you know, manage these financial issues that, you know, it's it's part of being an adult. But, you know, the truth is many of us are just faking it until we make it. So, you know, I, th- I think it's, <laughs> yes. it's definitely a common, a common issue. And finance has become so much more complicated um, than it used to be. You know, there are so many more complicated ways to debate borrow money or to save money or to, you know, superannuation is a kind of incredibly complex um, field that people kind of specialise in for their whole careers as well. So it's it's no wonder that it's confusing. I agree. And I also think that, and I actually remember this from a couple of years ago, I, I interviewed a woman who had started a business um, in the realm of budgeting. And she said to me, and I found it very compelling, she said, you know, I have clients who are financial advisors in in big investment banks. And she said, you know, they are good with money in that big picture sense. You know, they understand that. But but when it comes to actually managing their own money and budgeting, it's not really a skill that we're taught. And so, and I found that really persuasive because when you think about it, there are, there are, uh, tools available that can help us, and they're and they're definitely worth exploring. But I don't think it's that's something that people would do just as a matter of course. That think actually, do you know what? I need to better understand how to manage a household budget. Well, that's right. There has been a lot of research that shows that the general level of financial literacy is pretty low. And, you know, people do kind of pick up a bit throughout their lives, but, you know, they may be lurching from crisis to crisis before then. A Princeton University study has found that experiencing financial stress can actually temporarily lower your IQ. So you're making worse decisions. And, you know, that that's another um, case of a vicious cycle. Absolutely. And I mean, that does surprise me. Um, but I suppose, you know, when you are backed into a corner, you are less equipped to make, you know, the most rational decision. And I think that can be that can be very difficult, that if you're in a cycle where you are in a lot of debt and you can't maintain the repayments and you're not making ends meet, I mean, I think I I hear those ads on the radio for, you know, quick cash and cash before payday. And I mean, we know that there's huge interest rates associated with that. So it can be a difficult, um, you know, it might not be advisable, 
But I can understand why people make those sorts of decisions when they're desperate. They're looking for a, a, a quick solution rather than the best solution. Is financial stress something you've experienced in your life, Georgian? And how did you find your way out of that? I think that financial stress is something that I have definitely experienced and that I would say um, is something that comes and goes in waves. Um, and the reason that I explain it, um, and look, maybe this is a situation that a lot of other people will relate to, but my husband's work, he, he changes jobs fairly regularly as part of his career and the uh, remuneration changes with it. So we have periods of time where for one six months he'll be earning an X amount of money and then the next six months it might be a lot less. Obviously our costs are fixed and so managing those cycles of when you when you go through the lower periods of time um, is tricky and, and I definitely know I can relate very clearly to the fact that in those times when it, when it is much harder to make everything meet, it's really stressful. And it's something that I find really difficult, even though I know rationally it will get better, that there will be other times. When you're in one of those periods of time where it feels like, particularly, and I, I mean, I would explain last year uh, when I had our third baby, I took six months off work. So obviously our income went down, but it also coincided with my husband being in a job that he was paid considerably less than he was in his previous job. And that wasn't something that we had expected or could prepare for. So those six months, it was really quite stressful. But so why why does he take jobs if they're going to pay less than his previous job? Well, he works in the hospital system and you are allocated different rotations. And so his employer effectively is always the same. It's the health system. Um, but different jobs have got a different mix of public and private work. Um, and there's also different on-call rosters So if, and, and overtime counts. So if you're in a hospital where it's better resourced and you don't need to be there as much, that obviously means the plus side is that we get him at home a lot more, but the downside is that he earns a lot less. I mean, obviously his actual salary is is the same for each job, but what he earns is vastly different from term to term um, because of the stuff with the on-call, because of the overtime. And that that is tricky to manage. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I've, I've experienced it too. Like I think the, the most classic time is when I was... Uh, in my early 20s, I was in my first um, professional job out of university, but it was very, very low paid. Uh, and I was living out of home. I was trying to, you know, pay my rent and feed myself and, you know, have a good time with my friends. Um, but, you know, the resources were very tight. And, I got a credit card and, you know, and I just, it started building up slowly, but, you know, it wasn't too long before I owed a few thousand dollars on a credit card and I owed money on um, a couple of store cards as well, which have very high interest. They should definitely be avoided. Um, And, you know, I found myself in this situation and I took stock and I just made it a real priority. So every payday, I paid a certain amount off my credit card and then I lived on the rest on a totally cash basis. 
and over six months was able to to clear all that debt completely. Um, I was lucky that I didn't have to kind of look after anyone but myself, um, which would be, you know, a whole lot more challenging. Um, But I did that and I swore off credit cards and I didn't have a credit card for a long time after that, like not until, you know, I was married and we bought a house and we're using an offset account and we, you know, we have much more resources than what I had then and also a lot more kind of discipline of, uh, you know, I know when I use the credit card that I'm going to pay the whole thing off in full every month and the only reason I'm doing it is to extend the kind of amount of time that I'm earning money, income in my offset account for my Mm. mortgage. You're listening to the podcast, Your Family, Your Money. In this episode, we're talking about financial stress. Still to come, we'll be talking about insurance and simple budgeting techniques. For us, one of the the biggest things that we have done to sort of take control of of financial stress is um, we went and saw an independent financial advisor who was terrific. We sort of explained our situation to her and, you know, doing that felt scary at the time because, as and as I said earlier, I think there is a level of shame associated with being in a position where you are financially stressed. But I'm really, really happy that we actually did overcome that and think let's go and see someone and talk about the fact that this is our current situation and it won't be our situation forever, but actually getting some tools in place. And obviously I think insurance is one important aspect that can help curb a level of financial stress um, and particularly for us, I think because we do have three children, um, you know, you are aware that it's not just us who, who matters. So we've got to ensure that we're in a position where mm-hmm. should something disastrous happen, that we've got a level of cover. Um, because I think that big picture stress when you have got a family, even if it's not stress from paycheck to paycheck, not having that big picture security can be something that is worrying. Well, insurance is important in another way as well. Um, I mean, yes, you know, knowing you've got all that insurance in place can reduce your stress in the here and now, but it's also prevention. You know, we spoke earlier about how many people suffer financial stress because circumstances have changed suddenly. You know, there's been an accident, they've gotten sick, etc. And if you have your insurance in place, then Yes, you've still got to deal with the accident or the illness or whatever that kind of trigger event is, but you don't then kind of go into financial stress because of it. Mm. Uh, So that's income protection insurance, um, for example, which Mm -hmm. is tax deductible. And there's also life insurance, which is what we commonly call it. It's technically called death and permanent disability uh, that is often offered through your um, super fund, but only to a very kind of base amount. Mm. Many people will, with families, will want to talk to a financial advisor and figure out if they need more insurance than mm. what they're getting through their super fund. And that was certainly something for us that came up because we did, we both do have insurance attached to our superannuation accounts, but we did go through that and, and, and having a financial advisor who could help us through that process was actually very useful because, um, I mean, even for, I would say, my husband and I are both relatively literate, but but those policies are quite quite difficult to understand. So having someone help you and say, okay, this is exactly what you get for this and this is what you could get. Um, I mean, the other thing with insurance is that it is another expense. 
Um, and I think you have to figure out, that was certainly something we had to look at was what level of cover and what level of monthly payments can we afford to make, um, you know, and sort of balance that, that out. And there've been a few scandals in the insurance space as well. So I think talking for me, talking to a financial advisor was useful because I wanted to know which insurance products actually, you know, did what they said on the tin and would actually pay out if we ever needed them to. How do you think you find a good financial advisor? Well, there's a million dollar question, isn't it? It really is. Uh, look, I think asking um, asking friends and family and social networks can be a good place to start. Um, you can also kind of look at what their kind of qualifications and professional memberships are. You know, for example, there's the um, Financial Planning Association. They they um, and there are others like that. They might be a member of one of those bodies. Mm. And then you have to make a decision over whether you want someone who's fully independent and you may end up paying for their advice or if you want someone where you don't have to pay as much up front but they're going to be making their money um, on, on commissions and so on. And I think both can be fine uh, but you just need to know what you're signing up for and kind of keep that in the back of your mind when you're asking questions. And really, you're only going to know when you sit down with the person. Um, often they'll offer some free a free session. Um, and if you kind of, you know, meet with them and see if you kind of connect with them and if you get a good feeling from them and if they have sensible answers to your questions, it's only then that they'll kind of go ahead and actually commit to a relationship. And, and I would have to say, we have found both a very good accountant and a good financial planner through asking questions of friends that we um, sort of respect and trust and also work colleagues um, in both of our cases, because I think that, you know, sussing out what people that you know and trust, what has worked for them, um, is a great place to start. I got my recommendation for my financial planner through my mortgage broker and I got the recommendation through the mortgage broker through a friend who works in real estate. So, you know, a little bit down the line, I've been happy with all of those people. And, uh, you know, really for, for us, like the financial planning was, you know, we have to concentrate on paying down our mortgage. So we don't need to do any of that other fancy planning uh, scenarios, but we were underinsured. So we did need to talk to an insurance specialist and get all of that in place. So what are some other things that you think we can do to reduce financial stress? Well, I think simple budgeting uh, is, is really important. Uh, knowing what you're spending your money on and then kind of being able to look at that list uh, carefully and decide, you know, what is essential and what can you maybe cut back on um, for now while you're trying to dig yourself out of um, that hole or kind of stave it off. I think there are some great tools out there. I mentioned in a previous episode that ASIC Money Smart website has a number of tools on its website and also apps. Um, for example, there's the Budget Planner and there's the Track My Spend app. And, you know, there are lots of budgeting apps out there as well. And you can, you know, read the reviews and find one that, that suits you. But the point is to really kind of look through all of your expenses and um, and income and try to get it to a, a sensible state where it balances. Yeah, I suppose my experience of, of budgeting, and I am a committed fan, I would say, the thing that matters is the discipline and also the fact that knowledge is power. So whenever we have hit a zone where I feel that we are in a financially stressed position, 
I get quite forensic about what we've spent and set some limits. And I find every time I do that, it's really easy to rein in expenditure. Even if sort of if I if I hadn't actually looked into it, it would feel terrifying. How on earth are we going to do that? But when you actually go through your bank account and look at what you're spending on food, look at what you're spending on all of your insurance products, on your household bills, and I think it is quite empowering to get familiar with those numbers, even though it's scary at first. And then, you know, set yourself goals and be realistic when you set your budget, because I think the more realistic you are, the more likely you are to meet it. And then I think that is quite a fulfilling cycle to be in mm. because I find it quite reassuring when I commit little challenges that, okay, we're only going to spend X amount of money on groceries this week. And even if it's, you know, Saturday and there's hardly anything left, that's when I have to do pantry challenges. And you think, what can we make for dinner with what's in the fridge right now? Um, and I mean, the other thing is there is quite a environmental and sustainability upside there, I think, to sort of being committed to reducing food waste, for example. I think tracking your spending is immensely powerful and, you know, actually going through your bank statements and and credit card bills afterwards is also a form of tracking your spending. Mm. It's like, you know, there's been a lot of research into people who are trying to lose weight and people who track everything they eat lose more weight than people who don't track but just kind of vaguely try to eat healthier. And I think it's exactly the same with trying trying to save money. Absolutely. And I think, I mean, with both of those scenarios, ignorance is bliss to an extent. And I think that the reason that stops people from doing their budget or, you know, committing to a particular plan of of what they're going to eat is that fear that they can't do it. Um, And sometimes I think, particularly when you are stressed, it's, it, it can feel scary and overwhelming to sit down and actually confront what you're spending I think when you, I think there is power in writing things down and having the conversations. I mean, that's something in our household, um, my husband and I talk about what the goals are. So then we're on the same page. You know, if we know that we're cutting down expenditure in one category, then we both know that. And I think you make each other accountable when you do that, when you have those conversations. Well, I think uh, one thing you can do is talk to a financial counsellor. So they can help you renegotiate some of your bills. Um, For example, sometimes you can get a repayment holiday where you still owe what you owe, but you don't have to make your regular repayments for a period of time. The other thing I think in terms of actually dealing with those feelings of uh, of, of stress and, and being overwhelmed. Uh, this is something I've found in my own life. I've had periods of uh, feeling really overwhelmed, uh, not necessarily from money issues, um, but also just from, you know, trying to juggle working full time with having twin six-year-olds who, you know, have their own kind of ups and downs. Uh, And I've um, found it really helpful to practice uh, mindfulness techniques. So what I mean by that, it's a bit of a buzzword. I don't mean colouring in. Um, I mean, actually noticing your thoughts and realising that your thoughts don't control you. They are just thoughts. You don't have to fuse with them and let them take you wherever they want to take you. You can just notice them and you focus on the here and now. What is the thing I can do right now that is going to move me forward? I think that's great advice. Um, I think regardless of what the cause of the stress is, I think um, being taking a moment and, and practising mindfulness, practice letting go of those negative thoughts, letting go of the overwhelm, it actually is really helpful. 
you have any questions or topic suggestions, feel free to drop us a line, podcast at kindling.com.au. And we actually do have a question from a listener um, from Jessica in Karingbar. And um, it's actually quite coincidental. This question is perfect for today's subject of financial stress. Jessica writes, we're having a rough time with money and relying on two credit cards to get us by. I know this isn't good, but I'm not sure how to untangle ourselves from these cards. What should we do? Well, I think ringing the National Debt Helpline and talking to a financial counsellor would be really helpful for Jessica and her family. I I think also, you know, we talked about the taking stock of your income and your spending with all of those budgeting tools. Knowledge is power, right? Yes. And I think, look, as you sort of explained earlier with your own experience in your 20s, credit cards can provide a little bit of a vicious cycle and it can be very tempting to just sort of keep going because you're terrified of stopping. But in this instance, it will be really, really valuable for, for your financial position, but also probably for your mental health to actually take the steps and call the National Debt Helpline. Consider what the options are. And um, it might require rolling the credit cards into one and setting up a repayment system. Um, it probably will take discipline, but I think the reward for that discipline will be freedom, being free from the stress that these credit cards are causing. And before you roll it into another credit card, you know, one of the options might be rolling it into a personal loan. Um, that might be a personal loan uh, from you know, a traditional lending institution, or it might be one of those kind of new peer-to-peer loans that are emerging. Um, Examples might be Society One, Rate Centre. There's a whole lot of these these websites. Uh, And there's nothing to fear from them as uh, as the borrower. Um, for investors, that's probably a different conversation. Um, but for the borrower, you know, there, there's no reason why you shouldn't look at all the loans available. What I would say is don't roll it into your mortgage if you have one, even though the rate is lower, unless you can increase your mortgage repayments to cover it. Because otherwise, even though the interest rate is much lower, you'll be paying it over a 30-year period or a 25-year period rather than over a say, a five-year period, um, as you might be with a personal loan. Well, that's it for this episode. I'm Georgie. And I'm Caitlin. Join us next time for more of Your Family, Your Money, where we'll be looking into bill busting. Your Family, Your Money is brought to you by Westpac Bump Savings Account as part of Westpac's 200th year celebration. If your baby was born in 2017, Westpac will deposit $200 into a Westpac Bump Savings account, which they can withdraw when they turn 16. You can open the account online today. Visit westpac.com.au forward slash dearbump. Account must be opened and your ID verified by 31 May 2018. The $200 is limited to one per child and will be forfeited if the account is closed before their 16th birthday. Other T's and C's and eligibility criteria apply. Read the T's and C's available at the Westpac website before deciding if the product is right for you.